Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This panel is the value of the Randolph Shepard business enterprises as a career opportunity. And I'm going to close out what I was saying as an interim fill-in. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a great life for me, uh, 30, 30 plus years. I think I'm at 36, 37 years, and it's, it's been a great opportunity. But anyway, let's, let's uh, go to the panelists here. Um, uh, we have Eric uh, Buckwalter with us again. So, Eric, I believe you're on, so I'll have you start first. But um, we also have John Gordon on, the Bureau Chief of the and Acting BEP Director uh, for the Illinois Department of the Blind. And we also have Randall Crosby, who is one of our vendors in the great state of Florida. So with that, I'll turn it over to Eric. Thank you, Scott. So comedian Mitch Hedberg had a joke that went like this. Uh, I like vending machine snacks. I like vending machine snacks because they're better when they fall. If I buy a candy bar at a store, oftentimes I will drop it so it achieves maximum flavor potential. (laughs) I love it. I I told if you were here for the previous session, uh, you know my nine-year-old loves jokes. I told him that one, and he said that's not how it works, which uh, might be so. But I do think there is some truth uh, to that joke. There is some sort of visceral itch that is scratched when a customer uses a vending machine, even if it's subconscious. There's that little bit of all that is triggered when you were a kid and you were allowed to purchase something from a machine. There might even be a little bit of the part of your brain that is engaged from gambling. You know, will I get my product? Uh, Will I get lucky and it'll knock another snack out on the way down? Uh, Maybe this is why they taste so good uh, coming from vending machines. I don't know. But what I do know is that Nebraska um, and other states uh, need great vendors, not only in our program, but coming in added to our rosters of vendors. And business enterprise programs uh, are a great career opportunity uh, for the correct person. My name is Eric Buckwater, and I'm the Nebraska Business Enterprises, or NBE, supervisor um, in the state of Nebraska. Uh, I did start this role just as the whole world was taking a giant collective sigh and shutting down in the spring of 2020. I have, I have, however, worked for the Nebraska Commission for the Blind and Visually Impaired uh, since 2013 when I was hired as a vocational rehabilitation counselor uh, working out of our office in Lincoln. Uh, my professional background uh, is in social work, nonprofit management, camping recreation, experiential education, and traditional education. And among other things, I've also driven silage truck, been a stay-at-home dad, and wrestled a pygmy goat. Just a note, I am going to be using the term vending a lot, and I'm going to be using it as a catch-all term to include vending machines, micro markets, office coffee services, office pantry services, cafeterias, uh, and all other segments of the convenience um, service industry. It'll just be much less cumbersome to use vending moving forward. So why do I say the correct person? Uh, I don't think that BEP programs or being a vendor is the right for everyone, just as I don't think that being a doctor, lawyer, or 
plumber is the best fit for everyone. Suffice it to say, there's a very good reason. I'm not a lawyer or a plumber. Um, but for the right person, being part of a BEP program can be a very rewarding career, uh, not just a job, uh, but a career which can bring some very big rewards. First and foremost, I think that being a vendor in a BEP can offer someone financial independence. Uh, it may take a while to build a business until it can offer this, um, but it certainly is possible. Uh, a person also has the opportunity to be their own boss at their own hours and work schedule. This doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a lot of time off if you're working to build and run a successful business, but it does offer quite a bit of flexibility to your day uh, if that's something that is important to you. I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. The Most of uh, the vendors here in Nebraska will agree I don't sugarcoat much. Being a vendor is hard work. It's hard, it's respectable work, and I have the utmost respect and admiration uh, for the time and dedication that our vendors here in Nebraska spend on their craft. So what makes a good or even great vendor? In Nebraska, uh, you know, I look for people who are jack of all trade types, maybe can become a master of some. Uh, in addition to solid non-visual or low vision, low vision skills or a combination thereof, uh, whatever works most efficiently for the individual. Uh, I think solid organizational skills are important. Vendors deal with dozens, if not hundreds of different items in their product inventory and having a good way to arrange and keep organized all of the various products is key to running a successful vending operation. And this will also help uh, not only with stocking machines, but also help with what products need to be reordered without overordering. Uh, good computer skills are essential. Uh, having a basic understanding of common software is helpful in keeping track of documents and paperwork. More and more receipts are being sent electronically. And here in Nebraska, we're working towards having all paperwork submitted to the SLA being done electronically. Uh, even a lot of ordering of product is completed online these days. Larger vendors could also possibly benefit from using computerized vending management software to help keep track of ordering uh, and prepping to fill their machines. Someone who has good technical skills or knowledge, I would of course never expect a person to come in with knowledge of how a vending machine operates or how to uh, repair a vending machine but an ability to learn the technicalities of how a machine functions uh, is key to quickly resolving issues on their own uh, or submitting detailed requests for repairs. Uh, so proper repairs can be scheduled and uh, whoever is going out to fix the machine has an idea of what they're going out to fix ahead of time. Uh, a good work ethic is important. Vendors are ultimately their own boss. Uh, and the ability to get up each day and be self-motivated uh, to get out and do what has to be done uh, is essential to their business being successful and profitable. I think someone also has to be personable. Uh, while there is a lot of behind the scenes work involved with operating a vending business, uh, the customer facing part of it requires someone who is comfortable and appropriately interacting with, with customers being friendly, seeing if what they want is in the machines, what you can do to improve their experience and those sorts of things. 
Nebraska, like a lot of other states, is finding a hard is having a hard time finding recruits to join our program. So if you came here today looking from me to find out um, how to recruit people better in your state, uh, whether you're a vendor or a part of an SLA, uh, I'm sorry, I'll probably disappoint you. I'm not exactly sure why we're having a hard time finding recruits right now. Uh, as an older millennial myself, I don't subscribe to the notion that millennials are scared of hard work, uh, nor do I think that Generation Zs are necessarily scared of it either. I think a majority of the younger generations are looking for meaningful work uh, where they can see that what it is they're doing is making a difference. And I, I don't think the idea of, quote, just filling vending machines you know, scratches that itch. But of course, all of us know that working in a, in a BEP, being a vendor is way more than just filling vending machines. A second thing, and that this may be a smaller component of it, is the amount of waste product that's generated in the vending industry. I think it can be somewhat of a deterrent if someone is a more environmental-minded um, part of the younger generation. And there certainly is room for improvement in this industry. Uh, to my point of view, I think that the key to bringing younger consumers into the program is to show them how much of an impact providing convenience services are and how big of an impact that makes to people's lives, um, meeting their needs for nourishment, whether that's a hit of caffeine to make it through that boring office meeting in the 2 p.m. post-lunch slump, picking up a phone charger um, from a vending machine, or a kiosk type setting when you forgot yours at home, or you know that pack of Pepto when the taco run at lunch was not the best idea you've ever had. The current innovations and creativity available in the convenience service industry is exploding right now. There's a lot of opportunity for a creative pioneering individual to make a huge difference to the customers they serve. It's not just a job, uh, it's a career, it's, an, it's entrepreneurial, it's exciting, and the orchard right now in the industry is ripe for the picking uh, for the right person that is willing to put in the work. As an example of this, uh, recently NBE, we placed our first fresh brewed coffee machine in a long time, maybe forever, and partnered with a local coffee roaster on the coffee. Uh, does the coffee cost a little bit more than some of the mass produced options available through the standardized channels? Yes. Has the reception from the employees in the building been good? And that's a definitive yes. Uh, the market for local products, in my opinion, is there. People right now want to support local businesses. And with the expansion of niche markets appearing even in small West cities like Lincoln and Omaha, partnering with these companies to replace some of the more mainline products and machines is a possibility. Uh, and this is where the creative innovative-minded person can make a big impact. The rollout of more cashless-friendly or cashless-only equipment is another um, big boon for the creative mind and vendor. Uh, convenience store-style coolers equipped with credit card readers allow for a wider array of products to be sold without having to worry about the coils and machines with a, with a traditional cold food machine. Do these products cost more? Uh, of course they do. Are the younger generations coming into the workforce willing to pay for quality over quantity? 
uh, especially if they know the items are produced locally? Again, I think it's a resounding yes. So how do we do that? Um, how do we convince young consumers that this is an exciting, innovative field where they can grow a business? It's not just the, you know, open, open the doors, stick some Snicker bars in, some Mountain Dew in and shut the door again. This is where I'm sorry to disappoint everyone, but I don't have any ready-made answers for this. Uh, I'm kicking around some ideas in the back of my mind about um, using some video or podcast-style interviews with current vendors to promote this. So if anybody from uh, an SLA is listening or a vendor who's listening would like to kick around some of these ideas, I'd be more than happy to, to talk to you. How we train vendors in Nebraska um, is something that we are currently working on improving as well. Uh, one of the downfalls of being a rural state um, is that training for new vendors in Lincoln and Omaha is rel relatively easy. However, when we get a new vendor in the more rural areas of our state, training can be difficult. For example, from, from Lincoln, um, where our main office is to our farthest away site is a five and a half hour drive. All of our NBE staff is located on the east side of the state and the closest other licensed vendor to the whoever would serve the ones on the far west side of the state is still about a three and a half hour drive away. So that, that can make training difficult, especially if um, for a variety, variety of reasons, the person is unable to relocate uh, even temporarily um, for training. We do first have vendors do an on-the-job shadow or a job shadow experience, excuse me, with a licensed vendor. And we usually encourage this to be a hands-on job shadow where a potential vendor works alongside the vendor to at least stock machines and where they can talk with them about their experience being a vendor and uh, what, what their day-to-day -day is. Uh, as the application process for our program moves along, potential vendors do complete the uh, Hadley courses associated with the Randolph Shepard Act, and then they do a three-month on-the-job training alongside a licensed vendor. And it's during this time that vendors will have a chance to experience the customer-facing side of the job, loading machines, cleaning machines, interacting with customers, et cetera. Uh, but they also get a taste of that behind-the-scenes side, the inventory management, the product ordering, um, money collecting, reconciling receipts, those sorts of things. And once a vendor has been approved to enter the program uh, and is awarded a site, they do complete a minimum of a three-month probationary period uh, where they will work closely with NBE staff on any particulars of the machines at their location, as well as receiving more hands-on training on managing their site, hands-on training with um, profit and loss statements, those sorts of things. Ongoing training, um, to all vendors uh, in Nebraska is provided at quarterly meetings, uh, day-long workshops, and we try to do uh, a yearly two to three-day retreat. Topics covered um, at these times range from machine maintenance and care, hiring uh, what we call in the, here in Nebraska, the contract employees, the, the driver readers, also letting them go if need be. Uh, we cover topics such as inventory management and a whole host of other things as requested by the vendors. 
We are having a day-long training at the end of August where we're focusing on a new topic for us, uh, which uh, as an SLA, we're very excited to explore, uh, which is using promotions to drive sales. This is something that uh, we're really looking forward to exploring and I think will really help our, our vendors draw uh, customers into the machines and hopefully we can explore some ways to retain those customers as well. That is all I uh, have on the benefits uh, as a career, as a Randolph Shepard vendor. I, I do think that it, it can be a very rewarding career uh, and it's, it's hard work, but if, if someone's willing to be creative and put in that effort, there is huge potential uh, in the industry right now. All right. Thank you very much, Eric. So uh, which of our panelists would like to go next? Well, as we wait for the panelist, uh, Artis has asked if she can tell a little story as well. So we'll, we'll have Artis share, and I certainly I can share some more of my story after that. Go ahead, Artis. I was a vendor for um, 27 years. So I was 20 when I lost my sight, and I had been a bookkeeper receptionist. And at the time, I could not do that career once I went through rehabilitation. So I had to look into other careers. And they wanted me to go to college, but I wasn't ready to do that. So they told me about the Randolph Shepard program. And I, I had to go to, I was living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the time. And they did not have their own training in South Dakota. So I had to go to Cleveland, Ohio for um, cafeteria management training which was kind of scary as a, uh, by then I was 21 and it was a little scary, but I went and I had three and a half months of training where I did on the job training. I did courses in um, food service management, merchandising, inventory and all of that stuff. And then I went to three different facilities to work with uh, different operators and um one was a smaller snack bar, one was a snack bar in vending, and then the third one was the snack bar in vending, but it was a lot busier. And then uh, when I finished that, I went back to Sioux Falls and managed my first uh, snack bar there for three years, and then later moved to other facilities where I um, managed cafeteria with three employees in Pierce, South Dakota at the Capitol Building. And then I moved back to Iowa, and my last facility was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It was the Cedar Rapids Post Office. And there um, I had 57 vending machines in 13 different buildings, and I had two employees. And I found it very rewarding. While I was in the vending program, I went back and did go to college and got two BAs and my master's. And then I chose to change careers, and now I do business coaching, working with entrepreneurs mostly, and uh, speaking. So I thought it was a big stepping stone for me to then go back to college and then go on to a different career. So some people stay in the program all their lives, and other people move into other jobs. So it gives you both opportunities. You can use it as a starting point or... Um, you know, stay in it for um, as long as you wish to. I moved to California 
20 years ago. And so I didn't want to start all over, which unfortunately, when you move from one state to another, you have to start at the bottom and then take more additional training. And I didn't wish to do that. And so um, going into my current business worked for me. Anyway, I always tell people, try it. I think you should try check out the training and see if it's something that'll work for you. And it may and it may not. So it's up to your personality. And if you like people and you like getting out and about and meeting a lot of different people, it's a great career. Okay. Well, I'm glad. Uh, well, if anything, uh, I guess maybe the problem kind of helped because I don't have to go as long. But anyway, yeah, I've been able to listen in and hear everything in the first presenter. And I think this was all great information. Thank you for uh, allowing me to share with you guys today. So, yeah, I know Scott for a long time, and a lot of the Randolph Shepard uh, vendors. Uh, I was a vendor for over 30 years, and for the past six and a half years, I have been the Bureau Chief for the Bureau of Blind Services in Illinois, and I recently, uh, well, I have been in the process of switching jobs, so I will now be the Program Administrator of the Business Enterprise Program for the Blind, which is near and dear to me, as it is to a lot of you. And, of course, I've known artists forever, and it's always great hearing hearing her story again. It's been a lot of, a lot of time. So, so, you guys, we are facing the same thing that everybody else is facing. We have a problem in marketing the program and drawing new uh, – people into the program. So we in Illinois, we have reached out to our field services staff and uh, this program, uh, you know, I will just say from Illinois' perspective, but I think I'm speaking for a lot of the nation. I think we've done a really poor job uh, at marketing the program. And the reason why is because because most of us in state government belong to a state agency, and um, we have a hard time getting contracts through. We have a hard time getting any type of social media presence out there. So really, I think we have to work with our elected committees, the blind vendors in our states, and see if they can do some reaching out, because they can do things easier in some cases uh, things that are kind of hard for us to do in state government. And you know what? In my experience, uh, new applicants, they're going to listen to successful blind vendors a lot more quickly than they are going to listen to a bunch of bureaucrats, you know, because uh, they don't really think we've been there. Uh, they don't think we could really relate, even though you guys all know I can because I have been there. And, uh, you know, so I think there's a lot we can do in working together with our with our vendors in, our, in each state, the elected committees. Uh, they could really help us. I've been really fortunate, I will tell you, that uh, I obviously have been uh, cheering uh, well, prior to this year I co-chaired the Randolph Shepherd Committee for NCSAB with uh, Kurt, Mr. Curtis Glisson from Alabama. And uh, since he retired, I've been uh, kind of doing it. I, I never really say I do it on my own because 
of course, Katrina McDonald, I work really closely with. But I'll tell you, I really recently had such a great opportunity to set up a panel for NCSAB, which consisted of a handful of blind vendors who have come into Randolph Shepherd program over the last two, three, four years. And honestly, it was really just exciting and refreshing to listen to their experiences and uh, uh, two of them were women and you know we haven't done a real good job in uh, marketing uh, the Randolph Shepherd program to women uh, not nearly uh, as well as we have done in marketing it to men and it's a program that really that women can be really, really successful in, and we've all witnessed it and seen it. And uh, I think we need to do a better job in that area. So again, I really think that we need to find new creative ways of just marketing the program. Uh, this is an exciting program, you guys. I mean, I could tell you some of my most exciting years of employment surely were as a, as a blind vendor. Uh, it was just, uh, it was just really a lot of fun. It really taught me a lot of things because the sky's the limit on how far you take it. Right. I mean, you could take it just from a, uh, perspective of, you know, I buy products, I sell them to customers, you know, where there's a, where there's a need, I'm there to fill it, but you could take it so much more deeper and think about it, you guys. Over the years, we have had blind vendors who have operated military bases who have went on to be management companies. Uh, you know, nobody ever thought back in the mid to late 1930s, I could tell you, when blind men and women were in federal buildings operating cigar stands, selling newspapers, cigars, some sundries, some candy, nobody really thought that some of those same blind vendors, not those same actual people, but Randolph Shepard vendors would be managing, you know, mega dollar troop dining contracts, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't what people saw, but that very law, the Randolph Shepard Act have allowed us that opportunity. And I sure hope that Randolph Shepard is here for a long, long time to come. I know earlier uh, the presenter talked a little bit about telemetry uh, kiosks and you know the way we're changing the way we do business and surely we need to and believe me I have been as resistant as a lot of people at uh, resisting technology but I could tell you I see in Illinois that some of our most successful vendors have really embraced it and they've got rid of the guesswork right they have telemetry on their equipment they know what needs to go in their machines before they ever leave their warehouse in fact one of our vendors recently told me that he found an app and on some equipment he could literally sit on his couch and with his telephone change his prices man 
How cutting edge is that? But, you know, you guys, we need to really look at changing the way we do business across the board. The one thing I've noticed in the past two years, while we have all been faced with all these challenges surrounding COVID, but I look at the people who didn't have the same struggles as other people, and they were the blame vendors who had a more diversified business plan. They weren't dependent on all GSA business uh, to make a living. They had some in GSA, they had some in state government, they had a little in private sector. So because they diversified, you know, they were able to stay afloat because they were not dependent on one area of the business. We have a we have a long way to go, you know. It's uh, kind of crazy to think that in Illinois, and you guys all mostly have the same story. We're down to fifty-seven or fifty-eight blind vendors. I could remember when it was upwards of a hundred and twenty and a hundred and thirty. Uh, those are changes, and you know, you know, every year it changes a little. I know all of you have watched your states. What once used to be three standalone facilities now are all combined to make up one facility, and in some cases, one marginal facility. So, you know, it's not the way it once was. So, like I say, I know we need to do a lot in the way of recreating. Randolph Shepard. I really, uh, I really know that we will continue to face challenges. I never thought I would see the supply issues that we are seeing now, and it's not just in our businesses; it's in our grocery stores, it's in our communities, right? Uh, you know, it's uh, it amazes me. You know, it's not just baby formula. And then I never thought, I kept thinking my hands were getting bigger. But no, the candy bars keep getting smaller. (laughs) And now to think that Mars and Hershey products will cost over 90 cents. Again, this will force a lot of change. In Illinois, I'm really happy that after many, many years, uh, we will be now offering... uh, Uh, The same training we've offered in Chicago, we will be offering it uh, in our downstate region in uh, Springfield. We will have the same training curriculum. We will have the same layout for uh, new uh, customers down there. So in the past, people would have to uproot. And uh, most of you guys think that Illinois is Chicago, but Chicago is just a small part of Illinois. Illinois is a really rural state other than Chicago. And it was really tough telling somebody they had to leave their family for six, seven, eight months and go to Chicago and attend training. That's, That's really, like I say, difficult, but they won't have to do that anymore. Uh, we are, uh, We are fully staffed, so we are hoping in the next five or six months we will have everything we need to uh, have in our training departments to help make people successful. We will be 
bringing in telemetry, we really want a strong focus to be on cashless retail options because that's kind of where we see our world going. Again, I would just be happy if we could uh, not only build our program back up, but we could help blind vendors who have really struggled. And like I said, I don't see the struggles slowing down tremendously. We've been able to do a lot in Illinois for our blind vendors through job retention, and that's really, really been helpful, and I was really proud that I was able to play a part in that. Uh, Not that I'm giving myself a bunch of kudos. I have great staff that help think of these things and share my passion. However, uh, you know, I'm really, really uh, excited that we were able to do that in the way of providing inventory, new technology. But, you know, prisons, prisons once were big business for us pre-COVID, and that's changed a lot. I don't know how quick we will get back to regular visitation, but it seems like it is a long ways off. So again, we'll look for new ways to, uh, you know, both market the program and build the program. But I really think, and I always thought this way, you guys, that, and I don't feel any different now that I work for the state, we cannot do it. As a state agency, we can't do it as a government agency. We need to do it in a collective manner with the blind vendors. We don't differ on the end goal. Sometimes we have different routes that we want to go in traveling to our destination. But really, uh, whether it's the state agency, the elected committee, everybody is trying to go to the same place. So anyway, thank you so much, you guys. It's really been nice just uh, spending some time with you guys, and I'd like to listen to some more. Thank you so much. Great. Uh, Thank you for that presentation, John. Um, To both Eric and John, uh, certainly I would hope you guys would be available for questions, but my question to you is uh, thinking about the future. Um, Certainly that's one of those things we're talking about and looking at. What is the one thing that you see in our future that that you've really focused on and you're like excited that it's coming your, our way or could possibly be coming our way? Um, Eric, uh, or if you're still on, could I start with you? Could you maybe give us an example of something that you're excited about? Sure. I, well, there's so much that I'm, that I'm excited about. Like I said in my uh in the first uh, session today, the Nebraska is looking at hiring our uh, a third person um, to be part of our uh, NBE staff. Uh, currently, there's just two of us working full time. So we have a, a whole list of exciting things that we're just waiting for that little bit of extra manpower. Uh, so uh, my colleague and I aren't constantly running around like uh, chickens with our heads cut off. Um, so to speak. But the, I think the biggest thing that I'm excited about is hopefully moving some of the new, some of the new uh, machine type things that have become 
uh, really exploded during COVID when people are looking for that contactless, touchless uh, experience. I'm thinking most uh, specifically of uh, some of the coolers that I mentioned that have the uh, credit card reader um, built into the device as a lock. You, you swipe your credit card, you open the door, the machine is smart enough to know what product you, you picked up. And then if you don't place it back down, you take it out, you shut the door, it's yours, it, it charges your credit card. Um, and I think that has a great uh, appeal especially to some of the larger operations that may have seen uh, catered food service before, now that that option is going away, where they can pick up uh, a sandwich or a salad, maybe that is, um, was made locally by you know, a popular uh, local deli, and they can pick it up right there instead of having to uh, get on their phone, order DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever, you know, wait for it to come and, and be delivered. I think there's a real, uh, I think there's real potential for items like that to especially replace uh, some of the standard uh, cold food machines where, uh, that, that do sell sandwiches and things like that. But uh, it's, the it, it's a it's a fresher option than can be provided by some of those so i think that's one of the things i'm most excited about as far as potential for growth with with our program here in nebraska great thank you for that eric i, I was just sitting here thinking listening to you five years ago did we have any concept of the word contactless <laughs> it's just so incredible how our world has changed so rapidly in the last couple of years here so john how about you is there anything in the future that you see that that one thing that you're excited about and you want to talk a little about yeah but let me correct you yeah contactless i've been married for a long time my wife taught me about that a long time ago <laughs> scott anyway <laughs> I, I have to I have to really echo. That was Eric speaking, right? Yep. Yeah, I have to echo what Eric uh was stating because just browsing through the NAMA convention and how different that looked than it looked when I was you know, with Randolph Shepard for over thirty years as a plain vendor, when you think of and, you know, there's a lot of vendors who you see are very nervous, right? Like about micro markets, they're like intimidated. Well, let's start them on a small base. Let's start them with a, with a cashless uh, refrigerator, you know, something where, you know, somebody could take a sandwich or a salad out and based on the weight of that product, it is going to charge the customer's credit card. I mean, that is so incredible. And how will that change our businesses, you guys? Let's face it. 80% of the problems that we have with vending machines are attributed to what? Money, cash, coin. That presents a whole lot of problems. And when you can eliminate that, and any of you who have kids 
they think it's kind of weird anyway, you know, when they see us pull money out of our pocket. <laughs> What's that? Anyway, uh, so I really, like I said, I just, I just echo a lot of what uh, Eric is seeing because I think that's really the direction of the future. And I'm really hoping that in Illinois sometime very soon, maybe some of your states have already done this. I know I spoke with a friend of mine, uh, Bill uh, Robinson up in Michigan, and we were talking about, uh, he was at the time talking about uh, uh, seeing if they could do a, a rest area in a remote area that would be totally cashless to see how that would do. Obviously, it would cut down on vandalism based on, you know, anybody trying to get money from the machine. So I think uh, technology is going to change Randolph Shepard, and that's really what I'm excited about. Thanks, Scott. All right. So patient with us this afternoon. We've had some little glitches. Uh, again, we're on a new format here, and it's always a challenge when you try something new, if what if, if it's going to work or not work. But um, maybe I'll share a little more of my story and why I am still excited about the Randolph Shepard program and uh, maybe a little bit of my hopes for what will happen in the future. But uh, I, I did start out on this program in 1986, and uh, my first business was actually in my hometown, Fergus Falls, Minnesota. And uh, the gentleman who was there came in for a year and he had some tremendous health issues and he needed to be close to the Twin Cities because he needed a couple of surgeries. So they were desperate to get somebody into that facility and uh, they had put it out for bids and they had nobody interested. So they called me. Well, I know you're a local boy. Are you interested in this business? I came and looked at it and at that point I was just ready. Young man, looking for opportunity. I was ready to go. I said, I'll, I'll take it. Where do I sign on the bottom line? So uh, I was at that community technical college. Well, it was just a community college at that point uh, for 10 years, but I also expanded to the regional treatment center uh, in Fergus Falls. And uh, if you're not familiar what that was, because in Minnesota, we've closed those down many years ago, but uh, some of your quote unquote insane or criminally insane people, that's what they call them at the time, were housed there. And I had like 30 pot machines on this massively huge campus that was built back in 1920. So it was always a challenge to get yourself around and through all these locked doors and across these units of folks um, who you weren't quite sure who was your friend and who wasn't up there. Um, but I did that for 10 years. I was in those two locations and uh, ran a the food service at the college. I also ran vending. I had, I don't know, 20 vending machines and uh, full food service. I could compete. I could put down anything McDonald's could and uh, enjoyed it. It was a challenge. Uh, and then an opportunity came at Moorhead, Moorhead State University. And uh, so they were opening a new business. They were looking for somebody to step in and take that over. They had had somebody there for six months and he was on his way to work, had a heart attack and passed away. So uh, once again, they called and they said, well, are you interested? We need somebody up there pronto to kind of get that thing up and going again. And I, I, I took the call and I said, I'll, I'll try it. So uh, when I was at Moorhead State, we had about mm, 7,000 to 8,500 students and 
during the time I was there, we also expanded into the uh, rest area in Moorhead and the community technical college. So I had, oh, about 130 machines at one point in time. And I did that for about 20 years. And now I'm down in the Twin Cities and uh, I'm in, currently I'm in three different prisons, community technical college, a number of state buildings. So um, I stay very busy, very busy. But uh, I'm, I'm always excited about ways we can tap into the youth. I really think that we need to make sure that those young folks get a chance to come on board. I think it's an excellent opportunity. Uh, we do a lot of um, stuff that's um, high tech that uh, folks may not realize with the credit card readers and some of the new advancements in vending. Uh, if you got somebody out there who's thinking they want to be involved in something new, fast paced, uh, it does require some work, but uh, certainly there's some reward there as well. So um, yeah, I'm always encouraged to uh, encourage people, reach out to the youth and let them know that we're out here. It's a great way to make a living. It's a great way to expand yourself. Um, I know in, uh, in the personal challenges for myself over the years, I've learned a lot about myself and things that I can never thought I'd be able to uh, tackle and accomplish, but I have. I've challenged myself to do it. And uh, it's just something that I continue to grow with. And I just never get tired of learning and growing. So, um, but yeah, I just want to leave you folks with that. And uh, with that, I think we'll just take a couple minute break here before our next session. So I want to thank both of our panelists for being on. Great. Thank you.